middle of the country, but not middle of the road opinions. It's the podcast dedicated to sports in the air capital of the world. I'm going to Wichita. Wichita, Kansas and beyond. With Tommy Castor and Weston Mills, this is Keeper of the Games. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for listening to Keeper of the Games. We are the wildly underqualified, yet mildly entertaining sports podcast all about sports in the air capital of Wichita, Kansas, and beyond. I'm Tommy Castor, along with the guy who I know has been glued to his television pretty much every day for the last week watching Royals baseball, Weston Mills. Welcome to the show, man. Tommy, sports are back. Baseball's back. The Royals are back. It's been it's been good for sure. I, uh, you know, contrary to to your to your intro, I normally would be glued, but I did. Uh, we did welcome into the world my nephew Beckham Hate uh, over the weekend, so I went and visited him. But uh, I will be honest. We did introduce Beckham to the to Royals baseball very very early on. Uh, that game was. Uh, I think it was the Royals Cleveland game was on while we were um, doing a little holding and spending some baby time with with the nephew. So it, it's been good, man. You know, baseball is back officially when you've got you know Rex Hudler in peak midseason form <laughs> with all of his you know Hudlerisms that he says throughout the game. So as soon as I heard that, I was like, "All right, we're good to go. Baseball is back, baby." That's right. That's right. Rex is Rex has been in peak already, and it's been fantastic. You knew you knew with the time off coming back, he was just going to be full Rex right out the gate. There was no doubt about it. Absolutely. Well, we've got a lot to get to on this program today. Before we get to any of that, though, I want to remind you to hit subscribe. That way, anytime we have a brand new episode of Keeper of the Games, you'll get a notification. That's the best way to know when we have new episodes dropping of the podcast. You can listen to us on all major podcast platforms. We're on platforms like iTunes and Google Podcasts. We're on Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn Radio, uh, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, basically anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts, you can find Keeper of the Games right there. Also, you can watch full episodes on Facebook and YouTube by searching for Keeper of the Games, including this episode right here. And you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at CogPod. That's at K-O-G Pod. And of course, a special thank you to our friends at Title Boxing Club at 21st and Rock Road, as they are the sponsor of Keeper of the Games. So like I said, a lot to get to on this episode. Just a you know, quick, you know, full disclosure. Uh, this might be a little bit of a longer episode than what we're used to. I know that we usually try to stick right around an hour, but we've got a lot of sports topics to talk about, including stories about the Kansas City Royals, uh, who kicked off their season last week. We're going to talk about Kansas City Chiefs football. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, high school football and a decision that was made in the state of Kansas and a whole lot more. That's all coming up. But we're going to start the podcast with some Wichita-centric breaking sports news that uh, at the time of this recording on Wednesday evening, I know this episode episode drops on Thursday morning, but this is Wednesday evening, July 29th. When we're recording it, this news is just a couple of hours old. Uh, and this came down uh, just again, just a few hours ago from the Wichita wind surge as the wind surge announced that their majority owner and general partner, Lou Schweckheimer passed away on Wednesday afternoon from complications related to COVID-19. Schweckheimer was 62 years old. This is a man that loved baseball uh, that that made it his life's work and his vision was to bring affiliated baseball back to Wichita relocated his New Orleans baby cakes to Wichita of course due to COVID-19 no games were played this season 
Uh, and so sadly, Schweckheimer passed away due to COVID-19 before he even got a chance to watch his vision become a reality. So Weston, your initial reaction, obviously very sad, uh, not only for Wichitans and Windsurge fans, but the baseball community as a whole. Your thoughts on this? Yeah, I think, I mean, that, I mean, obviously you have to start right there, right? I mean, it's incredibly sad to hear this and especially for a man that, you know, did so much to, to bring this team to Wichita in the excitement, the buzz that was built. Um, and then to have a, a pandemic essentially take that season from him and then ultimately, you know, take his life. It, I mean, it's, it is incredibly sad and, and I can't, you know, even imagine what his family's going through and, and their thoughts. And obviously at this, you know, it, with this point, baseball certainly is, is second with something like this, but, um, you know, incredibly sad. And, and, um, you know, really the only other thing I can, can kind of add to that is just, you know, obviously you wish the best for his family moving, moving forward. Yeah. You know, again, I think, you know, I echo your sentiments. Uh, this is incredibly sad, especially for his family, you know, 62, you know, he's still in the prime of his life and he was still working full time. He was, you know, working tirelessly to finalize that vision of AAA baseball in Wichita with a brand new stadium downtown, you know, and this is, you know, I don't know. I didn't know Mr. Schweckheimer at all. I never had an opportunity to meet him, uh, but from people that I know who did meet him and didn't know him, uh, everybody was, you know, sort of in unison and saying how kind he was. He had never met a stranger while he had only been a resident of Wichita for a short period of time. He embraced the community. And, you know, you have to think about it from, from that perspective, Weston, this is a, this was a man that, that saw something in this community and decided to bring a baseball team from New Orleans that was established there, relocate them to Wichita, where he never had never lived here before, but he saw something in this community. I'm sure that he, you know, not only saw the, you know, the, the financial upside, but he also just saw what this community had to offer him and his franchise. And so, you know, whether the wind surge are around for five years, 20 years, 50 years, you have to point it back to Lou Schweckheimer as the man that brought them to Wichita. And it's just, again, it's just sad that he's not going to have an opportunity to watch his team take the field uh, at all. The team that he was able to bring to Wichita. Yeah, no, I agree. And I, and I hope that they can do something. And I, I certainly anticipate that they will uh, do something to really you know, honor his, his memory at the stadium. I would love to see something, you know, obviously they're going to have a corporate sponsor, but for example, let's say it's Cargill. I'd love to see Cargill Schweckheimer stadium. You know, when you don't have a name, you know, already associated with the stadium, I think there's probably isn't a, at a better moment to, to really do something like that than, than now. Um, you know, and this was a guy that spent basically his whole life in minor league baseball. I, you know, I read that he'd spent 35 years with the Pawtucket Red Sox was part of the group that bought the Charlotte stone crabs. And I don't know if that was, I don't know if that's the origin of the team that then became the baby cakes and then became um, the, the wind surge. But um, I mean, this is just a man who has done it his whole life. Obviously you have to love minor league baseball to stay at that level, doing it for that long. And then, and like you, you said, I don't really need to add too much to it, but obviously saw something in Wichita that, wanted that he wanted to to be a part of and it's it's just you know it is it's very sad news yeah you know it definitely takes a special kind of person to dedicate his life to minor league baseball you know there are so many people that they want to get to the big leagues whether you're a player a coach or in the front office and Lou Schweckheimer was a man who dedicated his life's work to minor league baseball and ended 
his career and his life here in Wichita for a short period of time uh, as he founded and brought to Wichita the, the, the new Wichita wind surge from New Orleans. Lou Schweckheimer was 62 years old, passed away on Wednesday afternoon from complications related to COVID-19. Definitely sad news. And our thoughts and prayers go out to Mr. Schweckheimer's family. That's our top story. We're going to get into Major League Baseball now and talk the Kansas City Royals. So this team has been in action for just under a week from our, our last episode. We broke down what we thought was going to be the 30-man roster for the Royals. We talked a little bit about the pros and cons of this team, Mike Matheny, so on and so forth. But it only means so much, Weston, until you actually have some games to be able to actually look at and analyze it's a small sample size. The yeah. Royals have only played a handful of games so far, but uh, I, I know we're going to break it down a little bit more deeply here on this show, but uh, from 30,000 feet, the small sample size, your initial impressions of the Kansas city Royals. I think my initial impression is that it, they are about, about exactly what we thought they would be. You know, I mean, they're sitting two and three couple games out, which it's funny to even talk about, you know, where you're at in the race, but really, I mean, there's, so we've played five. So there's 55 games left, you know, the, to, to talk about where, what position you're in already does, it does have some significance, but you know, they came in, they, they took, they took one in Cleveland. So obviously that's, you know, Cleveland being the front runner in the division and, and really the team, I think a lot of people expected uh, the, the AL central would go through. So, you know, it was good there, you know, three, two, uh, three, two game there. Um, Duffy looked really well in his start. And he, as of the time of this recording, he's actually looking really good right now as they play uh, the Tigers had seven Ks through, through five, but uh, obviously more details come out with the time this uh, podcast is released. So then um, so far, you know, they've, they've uh, taken one in Detroit, lost one in Detroit. The pitching has been kind of all over the place. We've had some really good performances. We've had, you know, Brady Singer looked fantastic in his de- major league debut. Duffy looks every bit as good as I thought he would be in his, what I'm thinking is going to be a bounce back year. Um, and then kind of some of the more of what you expected out of some of the the middle relief, some of the fringe starters, if you will, obviously they've had guys hurt and don't have Brad Keller and haven't had Jacob Junis and they need a ro- you know, help in the rotation. But I think we've seen so far a lot of what we expected. So we're going to break down the pitching in just a couple of minutes, both Danny Duffy and some of the other pitching concerns that the Royals have here early on in the season. But I want to start with Adalberto Mondesi, who's had a really rough start to the season. Now, at the time of this recording, it looks like he's had a better game. You know, the game is currently going on against Detroit. So by the time this podcast drops, that game will be final and we'll see exactly how Mondesi finished the game. But early on in the season, he struggled mightily at the plate. Uh, he's made a few base running blunders as well. Just hasn't really looked like himself. And that's you know a cause for concern for sure for the Royals. Uh, Mike Matheny talked a little bit about Mondesi's struggles here early on in the season. Yeah, he's pressing. Yeah, no question. And uh, you, you can see that, that uh, it's in his mind about maybe not even wanting to get to two strikes and then getting real defensive even a little earlier than what he needs to. And, and uh, it's only natural, too, to try to make up with for that by, by being over-aggressive, trying to be, be maybe even quicker than you need to uh, defensively. So we're just going to continue to talk to him, um, him to breathe a little bit. He's such a pure, natural player, everything he does. Um, and, and I know there's uh, things that right now he's just not happy with. He knows 
he'd love to be standing on second base and, and wants to be on second base on that pop-up as well. Those sort of things, they just kind of seem to snowball when, uh, when you get on onto a, a little bit of a bad run. So here's my question for you, Weston, about uh, Adalberto Mondesi here early on in the season. You know, Mike Matheny talked a little bit about how, you know, they, they want to talk to him and, and just get him to breathe and get him to relax a little bit. In a 162-game season, I think you can do that. Players can slump, and you can say, hey, look, hang in there, relax a little bit. We're going to work with you. We're going to be patient with you. Can you do that as much in a 60-game season, or does there have to be more drastic action taken with a guy like Mondesi to get things turned around quicker? You know, I don't know about drastic ac- action, but, I mean, here's the thing about Mondi and, Mondi and the Royals is – it doesn't matter how – I mean, if he performs well pulling him, they're not going to win baseball games. They need Adalberto Mondesi playing good baseball to win, period. I mean, he is one of the three guys that, that have to produce for this team to win games. So if he's not producing, I don't think there's any ben- benefit in pulling him or, or sitting him down. Now, I mean, I you know, I guess with that being said, sometimes taking a game off is just good for any major leaguer, right? I mean, really anything you can do to break the slump. But here's the thing. I think it's it's a lot of early early talk in the baseball season that is a little bit shortened. I mean, he's going through a slump. I mean, he's not counting today's game was going into tonight two for 21, um, which is not good. That's not good at the plate. Then, you know, like Matheny said, a lot of those other mental things that really do snowball when you're, when you're struggling at the plate. But Look, it's an early season slump. Baseball is a game of averages. It's going to correct itself. I, I have no doubts at, at this point. I mean, I don't I don't know why anyone would have any reason to think that he won't correct himself and get back on that right path. But, you know, in the meantime, they've I mean, they just have to stick with them because they have to have him producing and producing at a high level to be able to compete, uh, you know, for the pennant. So here's a couple of things, you know, my thoughts with with Mondesi. So, you know, the, the game on Tuesday night against Detroit, um, you know, there are players that have really bad nights and then there are players that have nights that you just, you never want to talk about again. You want to completely put it out of your mind. And that was the game for, for Mondesi on Tuesday night. He was 0 for 4 with two strikeouts. And I think most critical was a base running mistake that you don't really see very often from a guy, the caliber of Mondesi. And I, I think, it, you know, you go 0 for 4 at the plate, you strike out a couple times, you have a bad night. It happens. You know, it could very well be who you're facing, you know, on the mound and they could be throwing really nasty stuff and, and it, you just don't pair up well or match up well uh, with them. That base running mistake, I think, you know, to, to what Mike Matheny was saying, you can definitely tell he's pressing. You can definitely tell he's trying to do too much. He's trying to extend plays. He's trying to take extra bases. And while you have to applaud the aggressiveness and the initiative, it's kind of foolish at the same time too. I think that this is the first time in this early season for the Royals that you get an understanding of what these players mentally are thinking with the 60 game season. You don't have, like I said, the luxury of just sitting back and waiting for the game to come to you. You just don't have that luxury. You have to go out and get it and you have to be disciplined in it. And unfortunately up to this point, uh, Mondesi just hasn't been able to do that. Will he turn it around? Probably. And like I just mentioned, the Wednesday night game against Detroit is currently going on as we speak. And I saw before we came on, on the air. I think he hit a double, um, you know, over the center fielder's head, which is great. And, you know, maybe that's the slump buster he needed, but, um, you know, I, I think it's, it's concerning for the Royals if it's prolonged any longer. And to your point, 
it's not like they really have a replacement that can come in and can perform any better than Mondesi. The other point I'll make about uh, Mondesi, and I really need him to turn things around because he's on my fantasy baseball team. So <laughs> that was not, uh, I'm not sure as of right now, that was the best pick I've ever made in my life. Well, you know, and one thing I remember I had a baseball coach tell me one time a long time ago that baseball is the most individual team sport there is you know it is such it it is even though it's a team sport it is so driven by individual results but with that being said it's still a team sport and and i think what's hard to often do and what monty needs to do is realize look i'm struggling right now i have to put trust in my teammates that they're going to pick me up and if i don't produce someone else will And, and it goes back to the you know i don't need to stretch something into a double that's not a double i don't need to try to steal a base you know, when I, when I otherwise wouldn't, you know, I didn't get a sign or didn't get the call just to try to go out and make a play to make up for what I'm doing or, you know, try to backhand a ball and, you know, from shortstop and make a throw that otherwise you might just eat it and, and, you know, live to see the next batter. Um, You know, and that's something that that he'll get, and he's still young. That's something you have to remember that while he isn't a a rookie where you say, okay, you know what, we're going to sit him down. We'll put somebody else in because we don't necessarily, he's not the the, the group of guys that we need to produce night in and out. He is a veteran in that sense, but he's still young. He's still kind of going through some of those, I think, growing pains of being a vet. You know, I mean, this is maybe his first year that you might consider him a veteran, even though he is, is so young. So I think just a lot of that, it's nothing that concerns me at this point. I mean, every single guy in this roster is going to go through something similar at some point throughout this 60 game season. Uh, you just hope that this is Mondi's just getting his out of the way a little bit early. And to your point, as far as having his teammates pick him up when he's struggling, you know, offensively, there have been, you know, some Royals that have looked really good here early on. I know Whit Merrifield has had a good start to the season. You know, Jorge Soler uh, has looked good. I know he and Salvi hit a couple of home runs the other night against Cleveland. You know, so so there are those guys that are there waiting in the wings that can sort of carry Mondi on their shoulders if need be. But obviously the hope would be that he's able to turn things around. I think the more pressing concern for the Royals is pitching. Now we talked about that. Uh, you mentioned it just a couple of minutes ago about the starting pitching. Danny Duffy has looked really good. Uh, and, and of course, Brady Singer had a good debut as well for the Royals. But I want to go all the way back to opening day. Now, obviously, this is old news when you've got teams playing every single day. There's always going to be something new. But I, I, I want to go back to opening day because I think that was the first look at how Mike Matheny is going to manage this ball club in his first season. And we talked about it last week about how he had been kind of an old school coach for the Cardinals for a long time, didn't really embrace analytics, didn't really want to embrace analytics. It looks like Matheny might be kind of changing his ways and evolving in Kansas City due to what he did with Danny Duffy on opening day, pulling him, I believe, after just five innings when when Duffy was pitching pretty well. I know ultimately that outcome didn't work out for the Royals, but I want to ask you, do you understand the rationale that Mike Matheny had in doing that? Are you on board with that? Or, I mean, was that kind of the first opportunity for Royals fans to question what Mike Matheny's doing in the dugout? Um, okay. So I'm, I'm first, I'm first, I'm going to talk to you guys as Weston, the Royals fan, because Weston, the Royals fans allowed to be irrational and contradict himself and talk out both sides of his mouths. But so I want to go back to your comment about analytics because, and I think it was, it was one of the Cleveland games and I can't remember exactly which one, but if you, if you remember, there was a ball hit up the middle, there was runner on runner on first and second and Matheny had a shift on. 
this is game two of the season and he had a shift on. So, so instead of being at double play depth where we would have easily just that, turned that double play been out of the inning and a ball gets, gets hit up the middle because nobody, nobody's there. Cause we're in a shift. And I'm thinking to myself, great love analytics. No problem with that, but we're two games in. You're trusting a hitting chart from from 2019, especially in a year when you've got COVID and, and all the other weird things that you wouldn't necessarily think you're going to be able to take a hitting chart before because you don't know how guys are reacting. I just don't know why you wouldn't play straight up there. Um, and so, again, still Western Royals fan talking because you guys will hear me later on. I'm sure I will come on this podcast and complain. Why wasn't he following the analytics? Why wasn't he shifting? <laughs> I know that's going to happen. So now going back to Weston, the podcaster. And, you know, I think to some degree, when you talk about pull, you know, I think for instance, you had asked me about kind of pulling Danny Duffy a little bit early in that game when he was throw, you know, throwing pretty well. I'm going to give Mike Matheny a lot of room on those kind of decisions because with a 60 game season, a rotation that is hurting and Danny Duffy being, you know, one of the few guys you're really going to lean on, I'm going to kind of give him some leeway to pull guys early, make those decisions that might not be your normal baseball decisions, but you're thinking about, okay, I've got a 60 game season. I got to keep guys healthy. I have to be able to, you know, maybe throw a starter back out in four days from now, um, you know, to pitch when you're otherwise giving them a week between starts. Uh, I think there's just a lot of weird, um, I don't know, just caveats with this season that he Matheny deserves some leeway, at least in the beginning on those type of decisions. Now we're 30 games in and you don't see other managers making these decisions and Matheny's losing games. And, and you feel like it's because of some of those decisions that you don't see other managers making. Okay. We can kind of hop on discussing whether, you know, he's making the right calls or not. But for now, I, I feel like he deserves a little bit of leeway. So why don't we hear from Mike Matheny about his rationale for pulling Danny Duffy in the fifth inning on opening day. And then when we get done with that, I'll tell you why I disagree with you on that, uh, on that entire take. Well, I mean, we're looking at most likely not having Danny once, once he gets a couple guys on, we're, we're getting to the top of that order. Uh, there's a good ch- chance. He's not going to, he's not going to see the third time through with the top. We got a right-hander, one of our better right-handers hot and a right-handed hitting nine hole hitter that we feel uh, we, we, we will be tough to roll them up, but we still like our chances there with Barlow getting us the ground ball that we did get, but unfortunately it didn't, it didn't work. But um, thought was we knew we were going to go in that direction. Once we got it, kind of the heat turned on, actually had Barlow going as soon as uh, hit the leadoff, man. Um, just trying to do exactly what we said. We're going to, we're going to chase every win uh, with everything we got and try to take our best shot. Danny did a fantastic job getting us to that point. So I understand the rationale and I understand where you're coming from with, with your take on, you know, and I think what you said sort of lines up with what Mike Matheny is talking about, you know, as well. But my, my counter to that is you're only playing 60 games and I'm going back to what you, what you said when you were talking about Adalberto Mondesi and about how you pull him, he's struggling, you pull him, who are you going to replace him with? That's going to be any better. Who's better than Danny Duffy in that starting rotation? I understand not really wanting to face the Indians lineup a third time through the lineup. I get that. You know, I, I understand that the statistics say that, you know, the the first time you're going to, you know, get this batting average out of them. The second time it's going to be a little bit higher. And the third time it's going to be much higher than that. I understand all that. But 
about you know being a 60 game season, you got to win right now. You can't be necessarily looking at, all right, I need to save a guy for three days from now or four days from now. You got to win right now because every game counts uh, more so than, than ever before. So I don't know. I sort of second guess the decision uh, you know, to pull Danny Duffy in the fifth inning when he is your ace of the rotation. I think you need to, to ride him a little bit more. I mean, I'm not saying that he needs to go out and pitch a complete game, but I'm saying give him a little bit more leeway to finish out at least the fifth, maybe the sixth, and maybe even into the seventh inning because pitching and especially in the bullpen, that's been a struggle for the Royals. So I don't know. I just, I don't necessarily, I understand the rationale, but I guess what I'm saying is I don't necessarily agree with it. Yeah. And now that I, you know, I hear Matheny say this again, and it actually kind of it's going to go back to me kind of contradicting myself again because so here, here's the rationale, right? So you got Duffy. We just talked about the statistics third time through. So you bring in Scott Barlow and this actually, I was mentioned this earlier and I I'm just now putting together that this was this whole ordeal. You bring in Scott Barlow. That's when you had a runner on first and second, you bring in Scott Barlow. Cause he's a sinker. He's a sinker ball pitcher. So that means you're going to get a lot of ground outs with sinker ball pitchers. Yeah. So you bring him in and then you shift out of double play depth. That doesn't make any sense right off the bat. And I, again, I get it. You, I'm sure they had a hit chart on whoever was at bat that last year, they only pulled the ball and maybe 8% of the time, 10% of the time hit the ball up the middle, but still everything I just said. So, I mean, if you bring in, if you're going to do that and bring in Scott Barlow, play the double play that doesn't that doesn't right. make any sense it, it was it was oscar burcado batting for the indians and he hit a chopper that typically mondi would have fielded and it would have right. been an out had he been standing where a shortstop normally stands mm-hmm. you know so i i think that goes back to my original question about mike Matheny is you know the, this guy had he came into Kansas City. He he even said it in his quote. He wants to do exactly what he said he was going to do, and what he said he was going to do was embrace analytics. Does that mean he's embracing analytics to the detriment of the team? I think there's a place for it. I think it's really important, but I almost feel like he might be overcorrecting yeah. a little bit. Um, you know, where it's kind of like, man, like there's a good happy medium between completely ignoring it and doing it way too much. And I think that part of that is this is a, a new squad, you know, that he's only played a handful of games. Um, the, the talent level is probably not ideal for him. Uh, and, and so it's probably one of those situations where there's it's going to be a learning process. But I agree with you to the point when you said, all right, after 30 games, if he's still doing this stuff, all right, now's the time to sort of, you know, be concerned about it. But I, I think we can give him the benefit of the doubt right now that maybe hopefully over the next handful of games or so, uh, he'll get it worked out. Also, and this is kind of more away from Mike Matheny and more just about personnel on this team, pitching injury-wise is a big concern for Kansas City. I know you mentioned a couple of the guys that are still not back and pitching for the Royals in uh, in Brad Keller and Jacob Junis, but Mike Montgomery is on the injured list now. Foster Griffin is on the injured list now. We just talked about Foster Griffin last week before the season started, and the Royals announced in the last few days that they're signing uh, Matt Harvey to a minor league contract. I don't know if that's going to end up working out, but clearly the Royals have some issues staying healthy with their pitching staff yeah boy and how disappointing for foster griffin he came in and looked great in the inning in two-thirds that he, he threw in relief um boy just so disappointing and i certainly hope we don't you know it was a they calling it a forearm strain and i certainly hope that we don't find out that that he's gonna need tommy john um 
but looked good, you know, getting some guys healthy. I love the, the, the Matt Harvey signing. I don't know what he'll turn into, but to me, those are such, I don't, uh, that's such a low risk, high reward signing that I don't know why you wouldn't, you know, kick the tires on that. I mean, I think I want to say that the contract was like $525,000, which is pennies, you know, on, for, for, a, for a major league contractor. And I think it was actually a minor league contract. Um, but I mean, no reason not to bring him in, and especially with the rotation help, you might actually get to see him this year. I, I, I read somewhere, and I don't know, it was an early report, so I don't know if it's since been contradicted, but that the idea of bringing in Matt Harvey was actually for 2021 and not for the 2020 season. But I, that, that seems weird timing, but that was a report. I mean, it was from Jeff Flanagan or somebody, I, I hate to. I named Flanny and it probably wasn't him, but it was somebody and and uh, that's where I saw it at. But I don't know that that necessarily makes sense. I'd love to see him this year if, if he's ready to go. You know, I'm not sure that uh, that if he does make it to the big league squad, if they do end up bringing him on, uh, they, they might out of necessity have to start him. But yeah. I would imagine that the goal would be to make him a reliever. Um, you know, I just don't think he's got the form anymore to be a viable starter in the big leagues. Maybe he does, you know, but you've seen, you know, th- there have been a number of high profile pitchers over the years that started their careers as really dominant starting pitchers. They got hurt. They spent time on the disabled list. They bounced from team to team and they ended up actually extending their career by a few more years by just pitching out of the bullpen. So that wouldn't surprise me. But at the same time, the Royals really need starting pitching help. So they might not be able to fulfill that. They might just have to throw them into the rotation uh, because they just don't have anybody else. So how big of a concern do you think this starting pitching injury uh, list is right now. I mean, you've got Junis, you've got Montgomery, you've got Keller. Now you've got Foster Griffin. I mean, how concerned should, should the Royals be about the injuries to their pitchers? You know, I don't think actually over overly concerned because you've got Keller and Junis who, you know, it's, it's COVID and you certainly hope to see them back soon. Um, then you've got Duffy and Brady Singer looked fantastic. So there's four starters right there. Um, that you you really plan to lean on. And, you know, I don't think you expected. I mean, I think Montgomery was going to be in the rotation and probably last through the rotation all year, but I think he's pretty bad. You know, I don't think we were going to get a lot out of him. Um, you know, don't, uh, don't, don't, don't sugarcoat that at all. Boy, I mean, I just have not seen anything. I mean, I think he, I think he's kind of one of those guys that has good stuff that's never really been able to hit the marks to make his good stuff work. Um, but I do want to take a moment, though, and highlight what I think one of the highlights out of the, the pitching staff as a whole. How about Greg Holland in his return to Kansas City getting a save yeah. in Cleveland has pitched three innings um, and only allowed one hit in those first three innings. So happy for that guy. One, to be back in, in Royal Royals blue. Uh, two, and just to be actually getting healthy and, and, and pitching some good baseball. I know he really struggled a little bit over the last two years with, with injuries and just his time as a whole. I think he was in Colorado was his last stop. So glad to have him back. Good to see him doing well and um, really hope to see some more out of him. The final Royals topic that uh, we're going to mention here before we move on and talk about Major League Baseball as a whole has to do with the newest part owner of the Kansas City Royals, 
and that's Patrick Mahomes. We're going to talk a lot about Patrick Mahomes uh, at the very end of the show. I think it's kind of the obligatory Pat Mahomes comment. Like we have, I think we're contractually obligated to talk about him at one point or another during every single episode of this podcast. I mean, we could just rename it the Patrick Mahomes podcast, I guess. I mean, um, we'll talk about him. We'll talk about him a little bit later in the show. However, I do want to mention the fact that he is now part owner of the Royals, which uh, is just incredible. And it just shows again, his dedication to the Kansas city community and the fact that he wants to be a cornerstone in this community for a long time to come. Yeah. I mean, this guy just gets it right. I mean, he understands what, uh, I mean, obviously I'm not even trying to phrase like, Oh, Patrick made a sacrifice by becoming an owner in the Royals to deepen his roots in Kansas city. I mean, I'm sure this guy is, was jumping up and down to be part of ownership of a pro sports team. I mean, who wouldn't? Uh, but I mean, seriously though, on the other side of that, he, his reputation in Kansas city, I don't know how it could be any possibly higher. I mean, he has just put himself into a city that he knew nothing about was forced to play for their team. I mean, you know, that's essentially what the draft is. It's saying you have no choice. If you'd like to play in our league, you have to play for this team. Um, you know, so didn't have to come in and didn't have to embrace Kansas city the way he has, um, absolutely been fantastic and would love to see eventually someday, maybe him be an owner player. We can get a few innings. The Royals need some help in that rotation. Yeah, I mean, with the arm that he's got, I mean, he could very easily pitch a couple of innings in relief, and I'm sure he would actually probably do decent. I read an I read an article about um, a high school uh, game that he pitched in, and I can't remember now. Th- there was a ton of scouts, and they were actually there for whoever he was throwing against, and I can't, now I can't remember who it was, but how he just, I mean, absolutely dominated, and he just threw so hard, um, and I can only imagine he could still probably clock mid to upper 90s i would have to think with a baseball still i mean the arm strength is so incredible yeah the final thing i'll say about this topic with pat mahomes is a uh, new part owner of the kansas city royals is that you know for the longest time i mean probably since the late 70s or early 80s my guess would be as far as when you're talking about the most popular kansas city sports figure was always George Brett, right? And George Brett was a rock star, still is a rock star in Kansas City. I never thought there would be somebody that could come in and eclipse the superstar status that George Brett has in that city. And Patrick Mahomes has done that at an incredibly young age. Can you imagine where he's going to be if he can, if he not only if he spends his entire career in Kansas City, but then makes Kansas City his home after his career is over with? The sky is the limit for the popularity. I mean, he could run for mayor right now and he would win in a landslide. I can only imagine his popularity in 20 or 30 years. Yeah, no, there, there is definitely no doubt. I mean, it, you know, and the other thing you, you mentioned eclipsing George Brett, but also doing it in such a short amount of time. But I, yeah. and I think as far as uh, there's been a lot of talk up here in Kansas city over the last few years with the Royals run. And then obviously the chiefs super bowl last year about whether this was a baseball town or a football town. And I think the thing about Kansas city, it is a, it is a, Kansas City town like Kansas City will support Kansas City teams like nobody's business yep. so I mean uh, you know he's gonna he's got all this support and I think he's going about it in such a great way I mean obviously there's you know there's one thing to like personality is like oh this guy's a you know fun to root for this and that but he just radiates this personality of being a good guy and caring about the town that he's playing for which doesn't come across that often and not to any fault 
of any of the other players in the league. I think it's just hard to do. Um, so super exciting to have him a, a part of the baseball group. And it'd be fairly cool to see. He's got a, he's got a Super Bowl ring an MVP trophy. Now do you think maybe he'd get a world series ring? That'd be uh, pretty impressive. Yeah, that'd be pretty amazing. I mean, you know, you mentioned that Kansas City just supports all things Kansas City. And, you know, you talk about a team that we haven't even discussed on the show is Sporting KC and how popular they are. And people love them and are obsessed with them. So anything Kansas City related, that community is going to support it. And we've seen that time and again, especially with a guy like Patrick Mahomes. All right, let's talk about Major League Baseball here on Keeper of the Games. I'm not even going to get into how we got to this point. There have been so many moving parts about this Miami Marlins COVID-19 outbreak that has happened over the last 72 hours plus or so back to last weekend. And then, you know, to even today, all that happened. We just know that there's a Miami Marlins outbreak. We're not going to talk about why we're not going to talk about how it happened, but we are going to talk about how does this not only impact Major League Baseball, but then other sports as well who are looking at Major League Baseball as an example of how it could work to run a professional sports organization in the coronavirus era. And that's exactly what's going on right now with the Miami Marlins. I don't know about you, Weston, but there was uh, there were a few hours on Monday when this all was breaking that I really thought Major League Baseball was going to be done. I just thought, you know what, this is going to be too much for them to handle. The PR is going to be really, really bad. They're just going to shut the whole thing down. Now, that hasn't happened as of now. The Marlins are not going to be playing through this weekend, and they're going to have to reshuffle the schedule and all of that. But how big of a deal is a team outbreak like the Marlins to the integrity of a shortened Major League Baseball season? You know, I, I mean, I, to me, I, I I just think to some degree, right, uh, the, the results of how, of how these guys take it, I think, matters. You know, I mean, if you have a, a, an outbreak of, I don't know where we're at now, 15 or something like that. But yeah. if you have an outbreak of 15, they miss a week of baseball. Nobody really has symptoms or, or has any long-term effects you know, and whether that's a right or wrong approach, I'm not saying one way or the other. You know, I think ultimately then it becomes just a story we told about the beginning of the MLB season. Um, but I do think if there, if if it is more than one team, I think you. I mean, because as you saw, there it wasn't just that the Marlins games were canceled. The whoever they were playing that first day, then their game that night got canceled with, and, and I'm, I should I should be a little bit more prepared, but I think it was the Yankees and whoever the Yankees were playing yeah. that game got canceled because obviously you don't right. you don't know. I mean, you can test, but it, those results aren't coming back right away, so it is affecting. So if you had more than one team, that could be a real domino effect of taking time off, and and I I would anticipate does do things just kind of get pushed back? Like if we if we were to go mo- multiple teams that are ultimately sitting out games does it just push the season back does it affect you know the season as a whole looks like rob manfred said that really they didn't ever consider shutting down the season even though reports to the contrary were out there so whether that's right or or not you know i don't know but um i think ultimately it's not going to be a huge deal and i think to some degree right this is what we talked about in the beginning of the season that's the whole point of the taxi play or the the taxi squad of players and, and this and that so you can plug and go now obviously 15's a little bit more but you know maybe there needs to be a discussion of expanding that taxi squad so that you do, you know you can throw in 10 more guys and go and like you know that's really just from a competitive standpoint that should just be on the Marlins, you know, those players clearly to some degree must have been 
you know, not doing the right things. And I understand some of it, you're not going to be able to avoid, but um, you know, that's really just part of this season and the competitive edge of, of doing everything you can to stay healthy. The commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred, was on MLB Network talking about how he does not consider the Marlins outbreak to be a nightmare scenario for Major League Baseball. I I don't put this in the nightmare category. I mean, obviously, we don't want any player to get exposed. Um, it's, it's, It's not a positive thing, but I don't see it as a nightmare. We built the protocols to allow us to continue to play. That's why we have the expanded rosters. That's why we have the pool of uh, additional players. And um, we think we can keep people safe and continue to play. That's exactly kind of what you just, you know, talked about and you alluded to about the expanded rosters and some of the protocols. Um, But, you know, I I do think it's a nightmare scenario, not just for Major League Baseball, but for other sports leagues who are looking at Major League Baseball as an example of how you can run a league right now. And I really think that's a big issue. And I want to talk in a little bit about uh, college football, talk about the NFL in a few minutes as well. But in the in the lens of Major League Baseball, you know, I you you have to compare them to their contemporary that is also getting ready to restart right now. And they've been in a bubble for the last several weeks, and that's the NBA. Now, I'm not an NBA fan. I've never I haven't been an NBA fan for a long time. I don't enjoy watching their games. I, I really I don't like it, but I have to give Adam Silver credit where credit is due. I thought the bubble idea was ridiculous when it first came out, but I do know that they just tested all the players in the bubble and there were zero confirmed cases of COVID-19 because the NBA and the Players Association had taken the protocols seriously. They've taken the risks seriously. I don't feel like Major League Baseball really has. I think they've kind of thrown some ideas out there, but if they really truly had taken it seriously, there were options. There were avenues for them to help protect the health of their players. I think you're going to continue to see more players opting out. I think you're going to be able to see more players that would have never played in Major League Baseball this season playing, which then if you if you look at, you know, if, if there are 17 or however many Marlins players that tested positive and you're replacing them with these taxi squad players, are they really the Miami Marlins anymore? Is that really fair? Is that really something that's representative of Major League Baseball? So I do think that there are some some major issues there that need to be addressed. And, you know, I, I really just I don't think that. While I don't think it's the end of the world, I don't think it's something that, you know, I think that I'm advocating for them shutting the season down for. I do think it's something they're going to have to take more seriously in the days and weeks to come. Yeah, I mean, I, I get what you're saying about, you know, the bubble in the NBA. I just don't think that's reasonable for really any sport outside of basketball. I mean, they've got a, Why not? a 15-man roster to be able to, to bubble that the, those many teams. And not only that, they're essentially just playing – the playoffs. I mean, I know it's not the playoffs, but you've eliminated, you know, what, 10 teams even from continuing the season. So you've not only are you 15 man rosters, but then you've cut 10 teams bubbling that many people in personnel is a lot different than getting 30 man rosters for 32 teams for 60 games, you know, through October. That's just a different, you know, whole different ball game. And I mean, could it have been done? Maybe, you know, but I, 
I think I really, I think that why not, why not try? Why not at least try? And that's something that, you know, I think you have to point the blame at Rob Manfred. I think you have to point the blame at Tony Clark with the players association. I think you have to look at the players because I, you know, we, we discussed it on this show uh, a few, a couple months ago when they were negotiating on how, you know, a relaunch of the season would look like. And there, there were talks about having, you know, the, the Arizona site and the Florida site, the spring training sites playing games only there and sort of bubbling and quarantining the players in those locations where there would be no travel. I know that you're not traveling cross country right now, but you are traveling from, you know, in some cases like my, from Miami to New York and Philadelphia, you know, to Atlanta. And like there, there is some travel there. I think you could have at least attempted if, if the, if the, the, the owners and the players could have gotten together and actually worked collaboratively, they were too worried about the money and they were less worried about the actual safety protocols. But ultimately, I guess to me, what's, what is, what is the, the bad effect that happened here? Like if these players got COVID and they're fine and we ultimately missed a week of baseball or, and, and I say the Marlins missed a week of baseball and double headers have to get played. You know, I mean, and the players were willing to assume this risk, which they must have been because, you know, like you mentioned, the players union and the owners, I mean, they voted down. They just weren't interested in the bubble idea. Then then what what's the the adverse effect of this happening? You know, it can it can't get much worse than what happened. I mean, I guess it can, but not much worse than, than what happened in Miami. And we're still carrying on. So, you know, I think that's just ultimately I. I to me, it doesn't feel like a, a huge deal as things have been sorted out. I do think that as far as adverse effects and adverse reactions, you have to look at, again, other sports leagues. I think that if you've got a Miami Marlins team that had 40% of their team test positive for COVID, I think it's wishful thinking to think that there will be a college football season the way that we have envisioned a college football season. I just don't see that being a possibility when, you know, you were just talking about how, all right, the NBA had a a 15 man roster and a handful of teams in a bubble. And that's not reasonable for major league baseball. If it's not reasonable for major league baseball, it for sure is not reasonable for college football or the NFL for that matter. So I I think that, you know, I I think there need to be some big time conversations about whether or not we can even see any kind of college football season in the fall. Yeah. But again, just to play devil's advocate, devil's advocate again, if these baseball players, if nothing, if nothing is happening, right. And they're willing to, you know, I, I got COVID. I set out my 10 days until you, you know, I mean, I know it's 14, but until you've basically got two negative tests, why can't that be replicated at the college level? And it's, it's just acknowledging well, there's a there's a huge difference though a difference though between you know major league baseball players that are are making millions of dollars a year to play the game and a bunch of college kids that mm-hmm. th- they're not they're yeah. not so so the 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 assessment of the risk is going to be significantly different for these young kids who are not getting compensated to play a game but yet taking the risks of potentially getting sick while they're on the field yeah. and just in the last 24 hours I, I don't i think it might have been virginia tech i don't remember the exact school but we had our first collegiate football player opt out of the season say i'm not i'm not doing it i'm not playing i'm going to train for the year and get ready for the NFL draft. I think you're going to see more of that happening if there isn't something done with college football in the fall. You know, I don't disagree, but again, when you when you're talking about assessing the risk, when you look at the age group of these players, 
the risk is virtually none of having an ad. I mean, that's what the data has shown so far on that age group of range. Now, absolutely, you need to do, there's no reason not to set this up to even protect them from getting that. And then, you know, absolutely, they should be able to opt out. And if they opt out, they should be able to have another year of eligibility for, you know, for 2021 or tack it on at the end, or just, you know, they can obviously, like you said, train and go pro. But if the risk is so low, I think really the focus needs to be on the protecting the, the folks that are actually making money in college sports. It's going to be the coaches that are at risk. And what are we doing to be able to protect them? I think to me, that's where the bigger risk lies. And, and I only even point that out because, you know, the, when you compare college to pro it's, you say, okay, the pro athletes, they're making money. These college kids aren't. Well, these college kids are at a virtual non-risk of having serious effects of COVID. Now the coaches are, and we know how quickly this spreads and how um, easily it can spread. And, and those are the folks, but those coaches are getting paid. So, you know, I think, I think to me, it does seem like a comparable assessment of pro to college, even though when you talk about the actual athletes, you know, they're, they're not getting paid compared to the ones that are. I just think that that seems reckless to me because while I, while I agree with you that the data shows that that age group, the, the risk is significantly lower of death or, you know, extreme adverse health reactions. It's not just the coaches. Think of everybody else in the program that these, these players and not just in the program, but at the university level that they're in contact with. And these players, especially on a football team in Weston, you know, this better than, than I do because you played football, you know, how, tight and in close quarters, these players are with each other. They're living together. They're eating together. They're, they're rooming together. They're going to class together. They're working out together. They're doing all this together. They're, they're interacting, not just with coaches, but with trainers and with, you know, uh, people that work in the administration and, and, you know, all of these other, you know, equipment managers. And I mean, everybody that has anything to do with the football program, professors, other students, they're interacting with all of them. Mm -hmm. If there's an outbreak, then you better believe that it's going to be spread. It's going to, and, and, you know, are you going to tell 19 or 20 or 21 year olds to not go out? That's not going to happen. They're for sure going to go out. And then there's the potential of spreading it even more. So I think that that's been, that's been the big caveat with all of this, especially at the college level is that it's not necessarily that these players themselves are going to get sick. It's that they're going to spread it more than likely. And so what do you do to mitigate that? Are you going to try to put each individual program inside a bubble? Are you going to have them not leave their dorms or their apartments? Are you going to have them report just to the gym and to the football facility and then back to their rooms? How are you going to, how are you going to manage that? And that's something that has to happen at the institutional level. But the problem is, is that there's not going to be any kind of standard set, or at least there hasn't been right now from Mark Emmert and the NCAA to determine how this needs to look from, from a, a, an NCAA viewpoint all the way down. It's going to be each individual member institution implementing their own protocols. And who knows if one school is going to be better than another. I just think you're setting yourself up for some, some really um, risky uh, events happening in the fall. Look, and I don't disagree that there's risks associated. And I definitely agree with you that the, the focus of the risk is on you know, the other pe- other people around the program per se. But here's the thing. If the universities are open, which I know we're getting a mixed bag of what's going to even happen with colleges, 
whether there's 90 guys playing football or just kids as a whole mass walking the university going out on the weekends to the to the bars or what so if there's not bars open they're sure going to have house parties and those kind of things that's still putting everybody else on that campus that you just mentioned are around those football players at risk anyways i don't know that because 90 guys are playing football together and and frankly 90 guys that are going to be highly more monitored than every other kid that's streaming through a university classroom, lunchroom, athletic training. Well, athletic training room obviously is just mostly going to be the athletes, but you know, the, the campus gym, like they're going to be monitored, tested, um, you know, have folks looking down on them way more than the rest of the, the student body. So I don't, to me, I don't think because you're playing football, it's adding extra risk to those other people. Again, I think the the two groups that I think of probably the most are the athletic training staff. You're going to have a mix of students and adults, uh, the adults who are getting paid, the, the, obviously the, the athletic students who it is part of their curriculum to become an athletic trainer. And then the coaches, coaches are getting paid. Athletic trainers are getting paid. It, it, it's going to be the same co- conversation you would have with the fifth grade teacher that has to go back to school. The, the warehouse worker that's working at Amazon that has to go to work um, doesn't make it, it doesn't make it safe, but it's part of what we're doing. I mean, I, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, and I get, here's the other thing too. We have talked about this several times. There's not a lot of right answers, right? I mean, I mean, we're trying to all figure it out all at the same time, all as quickly as possible. Um, So I I think a lot of what you've said, I don't even disagree with, even though I'm coming off as I fully disagree with it. I think I have, I, I can argue with myself five different ways on, they should, they shouldn't, it's risky. It's not risky. You know, that, that, and that's part of, I think what's causing a lot of the problems is I think a lot of people feel that way. Well, and the other thing too, and, and my opinion of this is that the, the biggest issue with what's happening with college football and what could potentially happen with college football is in my opinion, you have the most ineffective leader in all the entire sports world in Mark Emmert. I'm not sure that you could have a worse leader to run your organization than, than Mark Emmert. Uh, I really, I really believe that, um, you know, he's a guy that just, he's not going to, it's just not going to work. And he's, you know, the, he has kind of gone back and forth on what's going to happen. You know, the schedules, you know, look a certain way, depending on the conference. I just think that you need to have some kind of top level plan, top level schedule for everybody and work in conjunction with everybody. And that's just not happening right now when it comes to Mark Emmer. Well, that's, that's also because you're a, you're a very well-known longstanding Mark Emmerich and NCAA hater. So, I mean, we knew, we knew where this conversation was going, Tommy. We, we knew that. Well, I, I don't, I mean, I'm not going to back away from it at all. You know, he, I, you know, he, he's at one point he's talking about maybe delaying the season, you know, for everybody at another point, he's saying, well, we're going to leave it up to the conferences. Who knows what they're all going to do. I mean, it's just so much back and forth. And I know he's trying to figure it out as he goes along too. And this is unprecedented, but at the same time, you know, I, I think he's incredibly ineffective, uh, but, but we can leave it at that. The other thing I'm going to mention with college football, as it relates to the university of Kansas is that they did replace their opening game schedule uh, that was supposed to be against New Hampshire. They replace that with Southern Illinois. However, as of today, it looks like they're probably going to lose their non-conference opponent in Boston College as the ACC has decided to only play conference games this upcoming season. 
there could very well be no non-conference games for the University of Kansas or for Kansas State or for anybody in the Big 12. How big of a deal is that for any of these schools in the Big 12 if they end up being able to play their conference season, not having any non-conference opponents to get you ready for? You know, I I, I have always thought I don't – to me, I, I think football in, in practice and it is one of those things you can you can emulate on a pretty decent level and I – I have not always thought that tune-up games necessarily provided a whole lot. Obviously, there's a long-standing history of coaches that maybe disagree with me on that, but I just don't necessarily think that it means a whole lot to necessarily get yourself ready. Um, with that being said, I also do think – I think a lot of – the like we're seeing a lot of schools may lose their non-con, but I still would be willing to bet there are going to be smaller schools who are trying to play, who are trying to make up some of the revenue they're going to lose potentially with whatever's happening with their seasons. They may be willing to step in and and play these games. And I'd be willing to to bet a lot of the power five can, you know, maybe not entirely fill that non-con schedule that they had, but are going to be able to find one, one, maybe two games uh, to kind of work it out, assuming that we do have football as a whole. We'll find out what the Big 12 decides to do. You know, at this point, they have, you know, continued to talk a big game. Commissioner Bob Bowlesby has talked about wanting to have a, a full 12-game season for all of the member schools. We'll see if that continues to uh, to stay on uh, or if changes have to be made with the Big 12 season as well. The biggest change so far with NFL are multiple players opting out of the season. This kind of started a few days ago and has continued into today. As far as the Kansas City Chiefs are concerned, uh, in fact, the first player to opt out across the entire league for the upcoming season was a Chief, and that was Dr. Laurent DuVernay-Tardif announced that he was going to be sitting out the 2020 season, although his reason, Weston, seems to be a little bit different than everybody else's. A lot of people are talking about their own health or maybe they have a family member that could be you know susceptible to covid you know or maybe they have health concerns or just had a baby or something like that uh, but for dr duvenet tardif He's serving on the front lines and wants to continue to do so. I'm not sure anybody can be upset about that. No, absolutely not. And, and you know, I don't even know really what what more to, to add to it. I mean, there's been there was just really an outpour, I feel like, from the NFL community and really just the sports community. Kind of when that announcement became public uh, of people supporting this decision and, and what a, you know, what a courageous and um you know, brave decision, I suppose, uh, to, to, to make, especially to give up, you know, millions. I mean, I think it's like two and a half million that he would have made in the 2020 season, um, to essentially, you know, go and, and make a little bit of money as a doctor. And, uh, you know, I know, and if you're talking money, it, people are going to say, Oh, okay. So he makes, you know, half a million as a doctor, 2 million as a, a chief, it's not a big deal, but I think there's still a significant risk to that. And, going and doing it. I mean, who knows what, what happens after, you know, he's opting out of the 2020 season, he goes and takes a year off football, you know, who knows what his future would even hold in the NFL after something like that. I mean, you'd certainly hope and expect that, that he could, you know, make his way back and he doesn't, but when you're opting out to go be a doctor, it's not like some of the other players who can opt out, go isolate themselves in a gym for a year, stay in the best shape of their life. I mean, he's got a lot of work to do to be able to stay, NFL ready, you know, and obviously that won't even be on, on the forefront of his mind. So, um, incredible move uh, or decision. Uh, not a lot of people would, would do something like that. So really cool to see Dr. LDT and very impressed with you, Tommy, for saying, uh, Laurent Duvernay Tardif really smooth and smoothly, uh, nailing that one. 
I'm getting better at it as the <laughs> weeks go on. Uh, I know it's a little bit different and it's not the same scenario, but it, what does come to mind for me is somebody like Pat Tillman, right. you know, who, who was in the prime of his career, left his career to go serve in our military. And, you know, unfortunately was, you know, killed in, in combat, um, you know, while he was in, I believe he was in Iraq. Um, and so I know it's a little bit different than that because, you know, Dr. Duvenet Tardif, you know, it's not military service, but he is serving on the front lines of a pandemic that has killed, you know, a lot of people in this country. And, and he's decided that he wants to continue to serve and help people as opposed to play football. And so, uh, you know, I, I just think that's that's huge. And just, you know, hats off to him for the decision that he made. The other chief as of now that has decided to opt out of the 2020 season, which I'm a little bit more surprised about this one. I'm not going to, I'm not questioning anybody who decides to opt out, but I'm just a little bit surprised by is running back Damian Williams, who announced today that he was going to be opting out of the season. Were you surprised by, by that move by uh, D will? Well, yeah. I mean, I, I think it really, you're kind of surprised to some degree with any of the players. I mean, especially, I mean, maybe the players, you know, a little bit more on a personal level and not that we know any of them personally, but you know that they've got children or I didn't know anything about Damian Williams. I, and I still have not heard particularly, I, maybe that news is out there, but I don't know if he is just had a child or, you know, family that, that is sick or anything, but certainly not anything that we were expecting um, to hear. I think this news really, um, I think probably who it means the most for is Clyde Edwards Hilaire. You're going to see, I mean, he's going to be the feature back and you're going to see so much of him early and often. But I, I think the other two names that you have to remember that are part of the the roster are, uh, you know, Daryl Williams and then DeAndre Washington. I think you've got three guys that are probably all going to, to make the squad now that we had otherwise talked about, you know, maybe not having room for. Uh, so I, I do think that, that that probably is that news is most significant for those three uh, moving forward. I think you're going to see a lot of Clyde Edwards Hilaire early and often this season. Yeah. Um, you know, that there's a reason why, you know, the, the Chiefs went up and got him in the first round. And, and, you know, we, I remember we talked when, when they drafted him back in April about, you know, how we were on board with that draft, uh, that draft pick. But at the same time, there were people, and I even had a question in my mind a little bit about, man, you've got all these offensive weapons. You have Damian Williams as your running back. Go get a defensive player in the first round. But instead, they, you know, they drafted Clyde Edwards Hilaire. That that draft pick looks even better now than it did back in April, considering that a, a guy like Damian Williams just isn't going to be a part of the team uh, this upcoming season. What I think is interesting, kind of moving away from the Chiefs just for a second, uh, I don't and I don't know if you follow this much, but the team so far that have had the most opt outs have been the New England Patriots, and this is a team that has already, you know, they've obviously lost Tom Brady. Rob Gronkowski is is not a Patriot, uh, but they have had several players opt out over the last 24 to 48 hours. Danny Vitell, uh, who just joined the Patriots as a free agent, uh, he was looking at potentially being a fullback for them. He's opted out. Marcus Cannon, uh, he's going to be out for this season. Brandon Bolden, who's a guy that's been a running back for New England for a long time and has done pretty well. He's out. Dante Hightower, that's a big name player who has opted out for the season as well. And then you've got Patrick Chung who announced uh, as well. So these aren't guys that are, you know, mid-level backup guys. You're talking about, you know, starting players for Bill Belichick's squad who have now opted out. Uh, Again, we we talk about the Patriots sort of as obviously contemporaries 
of the Chiefs. And I know I asked you a few weeks back what your what you were projecting for the Patriots this upcoming season. Have all of these opt outs? Has that changed your mind at all? I mean, I think to some, I think to some degree, you'd probably expect them to be even a little worse. And I think I had them, you know, maybe right at 500 or a little bit below. Um, but it is also the Patriot way that the next man up is always just as good. Um, but I did hear some guys discussing, you know, wouldn't this be like the most Belichickian style play that all these guys opt out? The year that Trevor Lawrence hap- happens to be going to be the number one pick off the board. Um, yeah. You know, he has he lost Brady, lost Gronk, has a bunch of guys opting out. You know, if there ever was a season that the Patriots do very poorly, it would be a really benefit <laughs> when one of the best quarterback prospects in a long time is coming up in the draft. But I mean, I don't you know, I'm not suggesting that that is accurate, but I think it, I think that was kind of a funny thought. Yeah, watch Cam Newton have a huge resurgence, though, <laughs> this season completely revitalize his career and then who knows uh, what could happen at, at the quarterback position for the Patriots. Before we move away from the NFL, a couple of quick free agent signings for Kansas City that we want to touch on. Kelechi, uh, how do you say his last name? I think it's Assimile? Kelechi yeah. Assimile, is that right? Uh, yeah, I was going to say yeah, Osmele, but yeah. I think it's Kelechi Osimile, uh, offensive guard. The Chiefs agreed to terms with him and also uh, ex-Seahawks safety, Tedrick Thompson. So you've got an offensive lineman and a defensive back that the Chiefs have signed in the last 24 to 48 hours, obviously to fill some holes and you know kind of plug in in some different areas. Uh, but your initial thoughts on the signings of Osimile and Thompson? Uh, Osimile, I think right off the bat, uh, from what I've seen, I, I think there's a, lot of ch- there's a lot of potential for him to be a starter day one. I mean, it, it sounds like a guy that kind of had struggled with some injuries, struggled with the coaching staff that maybe he just just quite wasn't gelling with, uh, but has some serious potential to be a very, very good guard. Um, Tedrick, Tedrick, uh, I don't know as much about, I, I kind of anticipate, you know, it's a little safety depth. I would think that he'd probably be a guy that's more roster bubble necessarily than just a, a lock. I, I don't think it was that type of signing for the chiefs, but, um, you know, because they do, they've got some depth kind of in the secondary. Well, I shouldn't say in secondary. I think they need corner help um, and still could use some guys there. But I do think as far as the safety, you know, strong safety, free safety position, they, they are pretty set. So I don't necessarily see him contributing a whole lot, maybe special teams. So for uh, Osimile, is he someone that can, they can plug him right into where Laurent Duvenet Tardif was I mean I know that obviously Osimile's a, a guard and so is Duvernay Tardif. I mean is he a guy that can come in right away and, and fill that position? Yeah, no, I I absolutely think so. But I also, with that being said, I you know I don't know that that's necessarily Andy Reid's style. You know I think some of the guys uh, you know that have been there will get first cracks and and they've you know this is what Brett Veach has done. He's drafted guys. Um, offensive lineman in the in the late back ends of, of rounds he's he's signed guys in free agency that you know weren't coveted more just kind of have floating around looking for a job um udfas that have really worked out for him and i i think that they their model is more to build from within and so i would because of that i would think you're going to see you know, some of those guys that, that weren't necessarily getting as much. And the name that comes to mind is Martinez Rankins. I, I think he kind of gets first crack at that spot um, where LDT has left. And maybe he was going to, you know, I, you're going to have two new guards this year with, with LDT out. I, I think you're potentially looking at two new guards with uh, Stephen uh, Wesanowski, or I'm, I probably butchered that. He left in free agency. So um, 
yeah, I think he's got a real shot, but I think you'll see the guys already on the roster that, that get kind of get a first crack. So as we mentioned at the very beginning of the program, you know, that there's a lot to talk about today on Keeper of the Games. We've already gotten over our normal time uh, and we still have a couple more topics that we need to touch on because there's just so much happening right now. And we want to shift our gears to uh, prep sports and, and fall sports at the high school level across the state of Kansas as we kick off our Wichita whip around here today. So uh, Keisha. We've been wondering for quite a while about what fall sports will look like across the state of Kansas. Will it be delayed? Will they push fall sports to the spring? As of now, Keisha has decided to stick with the normal schedule. August 17th will be the start date for fall sports practices, and the games will go on as scheduled as of right now. Uh, It's a controversial decision, I think, and it was very narrowly decided that way. Five to four from Keisha uh, just the other day uh, when, when they met. Uh, are you surprised by this decision? Are you on board with it? Uh, what do you think about Keisha's decision to stick with August seventeenth as the start date for fall sports? I mean, I'm not. I'm not surprised. To me, I, I, my thought process would be: I don't know that that you know if the schools are open and those kids are interacting on a daily basis and everybody's on, you know, at school on the school grounds. I don't know that necessarily sports. Necess- I mean, I, it needs to be done safely, but I don't know that that necessarily accelerates, you know, the, the risks involved, whether it starts August 17th or you push it back till September 8th. I, there's not going to be, to me, any difference on pushing it back um, unless the pushing it back is to get, you know, some protocols and some guidance in place. But I know they have rolled out some. I don't know that it's necessarily... You know, and it's it's not from my understanding, it's not requirements, uh, but it is. There are some guidance and protocols in place, and so I, to me, I don't see necessarily any reason to to push things back, at least not till later in September. I can understand if you'd said, "Hey, let's do it all in the spring," but to me, it doesn't make sense to do it. Uh, just push things back a few few weeks with school already in session. I think the interesting thing to me about this is that. You know, a lot of school districts have already decided to push back the start of classes until after Labor Day. So in class, in-person classes will start later, uh, but you know, the, the sports games will begin earlier, which I just, I find that interesting. I don't disagree with it necessarily. I just find it a little bit peculiar that it's okay for these kids to go and play sports and be in contact with one another that way, uh, but not set in a classroom. So I just think that's a little bit interesting. I know that there are different governing bodies that, you know, sort of take a look at that and not every school district has made that decision, but a lot of them has, uh, have with this schedule, uh, being in place the way that it is and not being adjusted, not being delayed or pushed back. That means week number one for the city league for high school football will be one of the most anticipated games. And that's Northwest versus Bishop Carroll and uh, head coaches for both teams. That's Steve Martin for Northwest and the guy with the best name in the city league, Dusty Trail for Bishop Carroll. Uh, they gave their thoughts on what uh, what's going to be happening there with the city league and of course the upcoming schedule 99.9% of the coaches that get into sports in high school do it because they want to be around kids and I'm just glad that you know we get that opportunity to be around our kids and our kids get to participate in the things they love to do it's just very important for these kids to be able to be involved in activities have a sense of purpose and you know I think it's just going to help them socially and emotionally to survive what we're going through right now 
obviously we talked about it last week, Weston, that, you know, football coaches want to coach football players want to play. It looks like as of now, they're going to get that opportunity with no delay. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I guess I kind of want to go back a little bit to what I was saying, because, you know, I, I get that when you're going to have some schools that have pushed back, but really I think the main, the main thing is if Keisha is governing everything as a whole, you know, to me, it's, if you're, you're going to say, hey, we're fine with things going on regularly scheduled. And if you as a school want to say, we're not putting our football team out there or tell schools in session, that's okay. But as a, as a body, one size doesn't, as a Keisha body, one size doesn't fit all kind of makes, makes sense to me and just saying, hey, we're going to go on. If you guys have problems, you know, th- that's a school by school basis can, can take that up. And I don't know if that's even been said, but I would assume that could be done. I mean, if a school says, Hey, our guys aren't here, we're not, we're not playing until then we need to adjust accordingly that someone would have to listen to that. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, there were definitely delays that were going on and they call them higher risk sports that include gymnastics, volleyball, boys, soccer, and football delaying that until September 8th. That was the original proposal, uh, but it was voted down five to four uh, by the, the board members of Keisha. Um, you know, they are going to, you know, put some different protocols in place like pretty much every league and every sport has done or will do. Uh, you know, that includes, you know, different kinds of social distancing and it involves, you know, different kinds of sideline protocols and what players can and can't do, what coaches can and can't do and the way that things look potentially, you know, in the stands as the season progresses. But as of now, like we mentioned, uh, Keisha, they've decided that things will stay the same from a, a top level view where fall sports practices will begin on August 17th. And that would mean the first football game or the first football week will begin uh, on September 4th. Uh, so big news there in the world of prep sports around the state of Kansas. Also in our Wichita whip around, you know, it's been a busy day on keeper of the game when this story becomes way far down in the show when we're almost wrapped up and that's Dexter Dennis returning to the Wichita State basketball team had to talk about it because it is big news for the Shocker squad and for Greg Marshall it's kind of been hinted at that Dennis would be returning and withdrawing from the NBA draft and coming back to school but he did make it official Uh, that's big news for a Shocker team that's had a lot of turnover uh, during this offseason yeah I mean absolutely the the Shockers to have him back is is fantastic especially with like you said a lot of new guys coming in have you know some leadership and kind of funny that, that, or maybe ironic that you you say bringing him back shows some leadership with Senna. Some of the you know issues he had with with Greg Marshall throughout the season, but there's no doubt about it, he'll be the leader of that basketball team. Um, while this is big news, I think it's also fairly expected news. You know, I know he wanted to go test the waters. From what I, I read and saw, I didn't. You know, I d- don't think that there was probably going to be much opportunity for him at the NBA level, at least not yet. Um, not and not getting drafted. I think he's got a, he definitely has some promise and potential to make a career in the NBA, but just probably not, not yet. Yeah, absolutely. You know, he he was a, a guy last season that did have some ups and downs. He left the team for personal reasons for a couple of games. It was kind of uncertain if he was going to come back. He did eventually come back and, and finish the season. He didn't play well in non-conference games, but he was also kind of working through a funk against uh, conference competitors. He averaged 11.2 points a game and 5.6 rebounds per game. And I think the biggest thing is stability. I mean, he led the Shockers in minutes per game last season with uh, I think like 25, a little over 25 minutes per game. Uh, and so I think that's going to be really big, almost 26 minutes a game actually uh, last season for the Shockers. But what I'm really excited for 
this season for Greg Marshall and the Shockers is the backcourt because now that Dexter Dennis is back, they also brought in UConn graduate transfer Alterique Gilbert. And it looks like uh, Dennis and Gilbert are going to be sharing the backcourt together. I think that's going to be a lot of fun to watch because I think those two can mesh really well. Well, and the other thing he brings too is, is defense. I mean, he's a fantastic defensive player, you know, and the thing about having a guy like that is to me, defense can be so contagious when you see one of your teammates getting after it on the ball scrapping you know for a steal or, or whatever that might be to me that's contagious more so than necessarily than, than offense can be I mean I know shooting at times can be contagious it feels like but really defense is an effort thing right and when you see one of your guys really busting it to, to get that done on the defensive end of the floor I think it kind of elevates everybody so to have him back doing that I think is going to really bring that shocker defense up as a whole. Absolutely. As of right now, it sort of looks like the Shockers projected rotation for this upcoming season will be Alterate Gilbert and Tyson Etienne in the backcourt. Uh, and then, you know, Dexter Dennis, could be in the backcourt sometimes, but he, he's probably going to play small four there a little bit too. Trey Wade and Morris uh, Udezi uh, will probably end up being in the front court for the Shockers. So uh, I know a lot of uh, instability and a lot of uncertainty with the Shockers squad during the offseason, but it does look like with Dexter Dennis returning that there is some stability and some experience and a veteran player coming back to Wichita. That's our Wichita whip around here on Keeper of the Games. And you know, Weston, we uh, we can't wrap up the show without our finally funny. And, you know, I know we already mentioned Pat Mahomes on the program. I think it's time to mention him just really quickly again, just because of how great of a year that guy's having. I mean, obviously he's a Super Bowl champion and he gets the richest contract in sports history. He becomes part owner of the Kansas City Royals. But, and I don't know how funny this is, or maybe it's just more that I'm envious, but did you get a chance to look at his new ride that Patrick Mahomes has that he's riding around in? I mean, that guy is living the the life right now. Yeah, Lewis Riddick uh, from the e- or from ESPN calls him Ferrari Pat, and uh, that brand new Ferrari is uh, very fitting of the nickname for sure. Uh, between his yeah. golf out- outings with Travis Kelsey, the Ferrari, you know, part of the Royals team, this guy is, I mean, he's at living. That is the epitome of saying living the dream. He really is right now. Yeah. Well, you know what I think is funny too, is that, you know, it, just the contrast when you look at the rest of the world and what everybody's, what's happening right now. I mean, yeah. 2020 has not been a positive year at all for anybody except for Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. Like, I think you would look back in 20 or 30 years and be like, yeah, 2020 was actually a pretty good year for me. Yeah. Yeah. No. And, and I guess uh, in my list too, I, I forgot to mention, you know, the, the $500 million he got. So yeah, do, doing all right for Patrick Mahomes in 2020. Yeah, if you've not had a chance to see Pat's new whip, uh, and I think that might be the first time I've ever used the word whip, and I don't know if I'll ever say it again, because uh, it didn't really sound right coming out of my mouth. Uh, but if you want to see his new whip, uh, we definitely encourage you to check it out. We should probably also tweet it out as well, because um, I mean, it's it's a it's a bright green Ferrari, and it looks legitimate. It looks sick. And so we should tweet that out on the CogPod uh, Twitter account. That way you can take a look at that. But uh, no, certainly the summer of Pat. And uh, I mean, I guess it's funny, but it's also fun and, and more power to him. Hats off to him. And really, I think we just wanted another reason to talk about Pat Mahomes today. Yeah. I mean, you know, I never have a complaint. I think you, you talked in the beginning of the show about the contractual obligation. I think that was my contractual obligation with you that if we were going to do this podcast, we had to talk about Pat Mahomes at least once a week or once every other week week at a minimum. Yeah, I'm certainly not going to fight you on that. I'm happy 
to talk about him uh, whenever we can. So I know we've ran a little bit over our allotted time. Typically, we like to stay right around an hour. I know today was a longer show, but just a lot to get to and a lot to talk about here in the world of sports. And I love that, Weston, considering that now we have some sports back and we can actually analyze things. Talking about the Royals. I mean, it was legitimate like sports analysis, and it was fantastic. I know, and hopefully that doesn't scare some of our listeners away going, oh, wait, these guys actually don't know sports at all. Shoot, what are we listening to for the last three months? Yeah, we were able to keep that illusion up, uh, I think, for long enough. And it might be fading away now, but uh, hopefully you enjoyed this episode of Keeper of the Games. Don't forget to hit subscribe so whenever we have a new episode of the show, you'll get a notification again. You can listen to us anywhere you find your favorite podcasts. That's like on iTunes, Google Podcasts, and uh, iHeartRadio, Spotify, basically all the major podcast publishers out there. It's important that you hit subscribe. That way you get a notification, especially as sports come back. We're going to try to do more episodes of the podcast, and that Way you'll know exactly when we drop a brand new episode. You can visit our website at cogpod.weebly.com, find out more about us. You can watch full episodes there. You can also watch episodes on Facebook and on YouTube just by searching for Keeper of the Games. And of course, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at cogpod. That's at K O G pod. And again, a special thanks to Title Boxing Club at 21st and Rock Road in the shops at Tallgrass. So I think Weston, with that, uh, I think we just need to get your Twitter handle and we can get out of here. At WMills94. All right. And you can, of course, follow me at Tweets from Tommy. Until next time for Weston Mills, I'm Tommy Castor. You've been listening to Keeper of the Games. Take care, guys. You've been listening to Keeper of the Games with Tommy Castor and Weston Mills. Don't forget to subscribe, download, and listen on all major podcast platforms like iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and more. Find the podcast and videos on Facebook and YouTube at Keeper of the Games and follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at CogPod. That's K-O-G-Pod. 